Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There is a place where time stands still. Where nature is harsh and demanding. Where only the quick and the strong and the deadly can survive. This place is no place for civilized man. Morning, this is Annie for Showreel. This is uh, 3CR's little look at Australian film and moving image culture. And today I have the good fortune to bring you an interview with a person who is a motion designer. Now, uh, Kaz will introduce herself and she'll also explain what a motion designer is. My name's Kaz Cordingly. I worked as a broadcast designer or a motion designer, as it's known, um, from, uh, well, within that and print design for 25 years mostly in film and television. What does it mean? Tell, tell us about what this means. A motion designer is, is what it sounds like. It's, it's designing, um, well, for me it was opening titles for TV shows or opening t- titles for film, and that is an animated sequence of motion. So it's, it, it involves a title or a logo, if you like, that you animate to resolve to what it should be. So if, if the name's, um, say it's Countdown, which my husband actually did, it all starts with a series of shapes and music and it's all vibrant and it should give you a fairly good synopsis about what you're going, about to see. It's a mini story. Do you, like a, uh, say, a um, graphic designer, give the people who give you the task to do this title sequence several options? which they then decide which one they like or do you do it in another way? It's, it's an interesting question because it's such a small industry and you find a lot of the time we work with the same people. So the brief was uh, fairly straightforward. We'd either give them two or three options with a logo and then as far as the storyboard or a title sequence, generally they trusted us to come up with something. We understood the brief. They were used to working with us. So nine times out of ten, presenting a storyboard, they just go with it. That sounds kind of kooky, but it, it kind of works like that. There's a lot of um, fascinating uh entrees into films and television series these days and, I, and also... Uh, fashions and vogues that go that really have changed over time can you comment on that i think it's partly technology and what people people's expectations of those things are these days um and the designers and directors work with that they want to be up to date the machinery as well helps 3d animations become incredible over the last 10 years 
it was already good, but the imaginings of the designers and the directors of what they want to see in that first opening sequence is is helped along by the technology these days. Mm. So the pacing and the music sequence, yep. uh, and often it goes for much longer than you'd expect. So, I mean, for example, in some uh, series you might see the uh, action and credits still uh, unwinding almost, you know... Halfway into the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It becomes part of... Uh, some of the um, short series, it almost becomes part of the story itself. And it tells you, it, it updates you. If it's a series, it'll update you on what's going on. So almost 15, 20... Well, could be a minute into the show and you're still seeing titles coming up. You're still sort of seeing the backstory of something and then you go into the show... And that's, that's the job of the motion designer is to actually be part of that storytelling and that's what the title sequence, I guess, really is. It's a small introduction to what you're going to see and if it's a series, you, you're telling that story again. And in our case, we had to format those sorts of shows. So whatever the title sequence is then carries um, a different... In each episode, you'll ha- you're able to slot in what you've seen in the last show. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. It's a bit, is it a little bit... Would it be a good analogy to say that you're a bit like a trout fisher? You know, like, a, a, you know, those sequences where they lure people in? Oh, totally. It's, a to- it's completely... It's bums on seats. And if people move away, they have to be compelled to watch the show. And you know, pretty much, if you want to watch a show... Within the first few minutes of seeing a title sequence, whether it's going to be something you want to see or not, um, it should be compelling. It should tell you part of the story. In fact, add to the intrigue of it. I think people will be surprised to realise that there is a whole separate team who creates the introduction to a film or TV series. How did you get into this? Kind of by accident, although I did my first storyboard at the ripe old age of 13 and ever since that I wanted to do... That's exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I fell into television, literally. I went to Paran um, College back in the day, in the 70s, and storyboarding was part of that, as was animation. Um, And I tempted at Channel 9 which was all live variety shows and, you know, Hey, Hey, It's That Day, all those sorts of shows, um, when I first began, which is a load of fun in those days, where you did a lot of props graphics as well as... And props graphics and making up um, gags for Bert Newton and Don Lane and things like that, you know, silly things, airbrushing out their hair or doing all this extra things um, to go in the show and working with props people. And that was a great introduction to that world. It's, it got me like an addiction after that. <laughs> so, so in a way, uh, it's the imagination and now couple that with electronic uh, devices, yeah. you must be you must be in, in uh, heaven. Absolutely. Anything you could imagine could be done and that it, you're completely... I think that's why we worked so well with the directors. They'd give us a brief, we'd go and... Uh, uh, minds were free. We could use any technology we wanted to to make the sequence. So I'm not very good at talking, but better at pictures. (laughs) (laughs) But um, it allowed you to be free, and that freedom was a a privilege to be in that industry. It was marvellous. And and so I know that with uh, 
CSAs, what, that's what we call it on a community radio, community uh, radio announcements. You know, we say 43 seconds is an optimum, really, if you want to keep people's interests. Were you given an understanding of what they wanted each time or did you converse with them to get a result? It would depend on the program, whether it's a drama or... Um, it depends on the genre, really. What what you're going to do with that? Uh, if it's a drama, they want to be intertwined into the show and lead you in. So the director might want something that goes for a minute and a half, which is a long time. I know it sounds program. like nothing to everybody else, but it is a long time. It's a long time, and it's a long, a, a huge amount in terms of animation and um, post production, and the cost of all of that is enormous. Or you might have a very short thing. It's only 10 seconds and gets you into the show really quickly, and that's more commercial stations will do that. Um, a natural history program will get you in very slowly and gently, depending on what, what they're talking about, you know, tree frogs, watching tree frogs for hours, or, you know, it, it, it really does depend mm. on... I've done a bit of it, or tried to do some animation, and it's actually really hard to think as an animator... I'm not sure if everybody is aware of this, but in order to make something look or, or scan for everybody else who's watching it, you have to create images and movement using the materials that you've got. Uh, are you a, are you, have you just gifted at this or what? Is that how your mind works? Yes, I'm one of those weird people that thinks in, in motion, thinks in how I get from one um, one frame to another. Or what, in animation terms, is, is how many frames do it take to get to that movement? How does that ball bounce? Does it take, uh, you know, 10 frames to get to where it's going to bounce and how do I make it look like it's actually bouncing when it's really only an object that I'm making? It's not got any form. It has no weight. I'm giving it all of that. So it's it, it's become much more technical as well. It's, I suppose it's always been in a way. Yeah, it's it's quite remarkable. I I, I just take my hat off to you because it is. It's absolutely remarkable. Animation is absolutely remarkable to me. Do you uh, watch the uh, programs or the footage before you actually create the uh, title sequence? Absolutely. You do a lot of research. You watch as much of the program as you can. You talk to the directors. In some um, situations, you'll visit the sets. You'll talk to the um, the cameraman or the lead um, cameraman or even the actors at some stage. Uh, you can, if the director wants, you can have the actors in the title sequence if that's part of what the idea is. So it can, it can involve directing actors, it can involve commissioning music. Um, it's quite um, a diverse role. I guess that's why I was in it for so long. It was always different. Every single thing I did in my career was different. So it kept you engaged as, as a designer. There was no one title sequence that was the same as the other. They were all so different. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. 
Tune in to On Screen and find out more about what's on the big and the small screen each Saturday, 11am till 12 noon on 3CR. It's a program on film, on filmmakers and on film festivals. It's called On Screen, Mm, but it's on the radio, 3CR. Hi, my name's Bentley Dean, co-director of the film Tanner, and you're on 3CR. You're with Annie on Showreel, 3CR's look at uh, Australian film and moving image culture. And uh, we're in the middle of a conversation I had with Kaz Condoli, who is a, or was, a motion designer. Now, uh, now... Kaz has taken early retirement and has opened a shop in Castlemaine where she has taken a new foray into 3D imagining in clothes design. But we'll continue with our chat and you'll hear all about it. You were leading a team, weren't you? Yes. I'd I'd gone as far as I could. I was a design director by that point and leading um, as many as five teams on different um, opening title sequences and formatting for shows. Does that make sense? Mm. Yeah. 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 So how was it working with other people, transferring ideas? Obviously they would also have the, the puzzle and uh, uh, drive as well as the uh, motion gift. Uh, so how did you articulate what you were doing to, with each other? I think in that, in that world, in film and television, it runs with um, team spirit. So everyone is part of that team and they're very important. So it doesn't matter who you are in that team. From my point of view, everyone had to be part of what was going on. And most people will, they're so gifted, they are, I'd like to work in a way that gave them ownership of what they were doing and they'd be part of that team to come back together and then put it all together. Not to just be taken away from them and someone else puts it together. They're actually there and helping as well. And also um, involved in how it works. I've had a lot, I mentored a lot of young 3D animators and it's a marvellous thing to see them given that opportunity to grow and the, the support, they'll grow with that and they'll it, tell them to do something like one animator I said to him, this is years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I wanted a comet that would go around the world with a trail and at that point it was technically really hard to do and he almost fought with me about it and I said no no you can do it I know you can do it so go away and think about it and he spent all night came back very proud of himself he'd done it and he actually got two comets to go around a spinning world the world was going the other way and the comets were going yeah you know what I mean the other yeah, way yeah 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 um, Contri- concentrically yes. concentrically and it was part of a a sequence that would be uh, a news promotional thing for, for one of the stations. It ended up winning an award, a worldwide award, and he was thrilled. He never looked back. He became um, one of the lead animators in Animal Logic, which is a big post-production firm in um, Sydney. Yeah, fantastic. Oh, well, let me ask you, what do you think is a pinnacle moment in that career for you? For me? Which one did you enjoy a lot? All of them. All of them. <laughs> oh, you're a lucky woman. I was lucky. I, I think most, you know, the most challenging ones are, are moments like that where you see someone else 
get what you're talking about and be part of that team 100%. And when everyone came together, the director's happy, everybody's happy, the whole thing goes to air, you get um, that satisfaction. In that world, you're only as good as the last thing you've done, so you'd move on very quickly to the next thing. And that's what, who I was who I am really. Now let's talk about technology because I know animators who say would do clay, clay motion, motion, right? So they're creating, yeah, yeah, and, the, and then it's, you know, single frame, single frame, single yep. frame, yep. all that sort of stuff. And that's very solid world. But doing uh, the new technology that you would have had to have then understood how that worked to create the result. I mean, it wouldn't have been a problem because it was a puzzle you were solving? Yes, that's right. All the um, post-production is done in layers and now people are more familiar these days with Photoshop and Illustrator that are all layer-based. Um, in that world, in the Adobe world, the layers can move um, in in space, basically, and all we were doing was on a much higher level, um, you know, 20 or 30 years ago that we were doing this, multi-layering 3D... Um, Images. Images. And we used to call them passes. So there'd be many passes to make uh, a whole sequence. So there's many people involved in that with 3D animators and there'll be a music track behind it, there'll be editors, um, and it builds up layer upon layer. In those days, it was it, you'd start with three layers, you could only do a pass of three layers, and then you'd have to start again and layer it up again. And how long would it take? It could take ten hours just to do that finishing piece could have taken two or three weeks to do all the elements and then bring them all together. A bit like baking a cake. Yeah. <laughs> but then, with the change, with the electronic uh, media? You can do all those passes at once. So you've got everything happening at once. So I think as that changed, the people that are te- the editors that are putting it all together, um, their knowledge of all of that stuff going on all at once is extraordinary because they all have to match up and everyone that's doing one of those layers has to match up to exactly this, the time sequence so it hits the beat of the music so everyone works to a click track and that will say every, every beat to a, a music track so click, click, click and then it all comes together hmm. So how long would it take now to complete something, the final mix? Once all the elements, all the ideas have been brought together? I think the, the, at the end of the day it's probably taking similar amounts of time but the equipment is, is um, less costly. So back in the day it would be you're working on a piece of equipment that's over a million dollars and per hour they rate that out at $1,000 an hour or something like that. Nowadays with Macintosh and PCs, the technology has changed in a way that it's much more affordable, so you can spend longer doing that. And, and you know, I think probably the time is the same. It's just the equipment that's changed, so the budgets have changed and become lower. Now, the thing that's interesting to me is that you've now moved into another career phase. You've gone out of that industry, but you've now you now create uh, in a different three D environment, don't you? I use the body as my 3D um, block or shape to work with and I design and pattern make um, clothing for women and men. And not only that, you seek out scraps of material 
far and wide and in unusual places, don't you? I do. That's part of the, the chase um, and part of it. No two garments are the same. They may have start with a similar pattern, but I don't do two things the same. And I think that's come from the television experience is that you want to do everything differently and it makes the challenge even more um, inspiring and challenging. And I think it kind of explains what 3D means too, you know, in a physical way. That's right, exactly. A, a lot of people don't think in 3D and try to imagine that is, is rather difficult. It's surprising how many um, people don't. For me, it was always surprising. But um, And when you see a, an animation, just um, a cartoon... It's imagined in 3D because those, as the images move around and you see their body form, that is what it is 3D. It's the form of the body. So Mickey Mouse, when he turns around, you're actually seeing his physical body. I remember working with um, Reg Mombasa on a, on a um, title sequence and he'd only done the, the, the front of a, um, I think it was a fly. And I said to him, Reg, we need the side view and the back view. And he went... Man, I'd never thought about that. This is cool. And he went off to draw. So it was it was challenging to everybody. And the three D guy got hold of all of that and, and built that um like he would a norm, a model like of a car or a plane, something like that. So it's all it's all from that that I guess I'm really enjoying pattern making. Because I'll draw draw a picture first and think about it in in different views. Then I'll make up a test pattern, and from that I'll make up a test garment and just work my way around that. So, it's, yeah, it's pretty much the same. And get excited about seeing it on a real person. Love that. That's just the best. <laughs> Hi, my name is Rolf de Heer. I don't live in Melbourne. I live across the water in Tasmania. But if I did live in Melbourne, my number one radio station would be 3CR because it's about community and community matters. Well, that's it for Showreel today. And uh, before I leave you, uh, I have to thank Kaz for her time explaining to us what a motion designer is. And if you have the animator bug, then uh, perhaps that's the kind of uh, job you should be pursuing in uh, filmmaking and uh, TV land. But before I leave you, uh, just a reminder to people that uh, there's going to be a film called Containment, a film by Peter Gallison and Rob Moss, going to be showing at the Loop Bar on the 11th of November at 7pm. They're going to be there for a Q&A. It's about the vexed issue of uh, nuclear waste storage, which, of course, is all on the agenda at the moment because of the ever-handsome Mr. Turnbull. Uh, tickets are $10 concession, $15 wage, $25 con- solidarity. You can make bookings at foe.org.au. Uh, uh, it's a, a, a screening for uh, the, organised by the Anti-Nuclear and Clean Energy Collective at Friends of the Earth. So uh, get on down there and uh, find out why we should all be afraid, very afraid, of nuclear waste dumping in Australia. 
Before I go, I better tell you what was the song that I played just before. It was uh, called A Hundred Dollar Suit, if you didn't guess, by Husky. And we're going to go out with a fantastic number called Dancing a Go-Go by the Cambodian Space Project. The name should get an award, if nothing else. Coming up next is Published or Not. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.